the, the, the ministry that the Alliance has is called, let me start my, there we go, Gift of Will and Gift Planning Services. My title is Gift and Estate Design Consultant. They made it extra long to just test us if our memory uh, can work well. Gift and Estate Design Consultant. I talk to people about will and gift planning and, and, and everything related to that, that subject. So you can see, protect and provide for your family. Um, make sure that your plans are in place. That if something happens to you, you go home to heaven. How are you going to take care of your family, your loved ones, your spouse, children, other people you care about that are dependent on you? We want to help you with that plan. We cover a broad topic of, 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 of financial items and concerns that may be in your life. Uh, and we help walk through that because there's just a lot of things that a lot of people just don't understand. I mean, you do, you do your job or your homemaker or whatever, and, and this financial stuff and, you know, is mystical to a lot of people. So I want to help demystify some of that information. When it comes to giving, giving to your favorite ministries, that's what the ministry is about in helping people plan uh, for when they go home to heaven, plan how to give currently, how to structure that, how to use IRS-approved tools to to leverage that well. That's part of what I do. And I'm just going to share, again, this is just a quick commercial. So when I'm in your homes or, or talking to you personally, whether by phone or in person, we cover a broad spectrum of financial concerns. What's in your life? What's impacting you? Talk about Social Security, talk about Medicare, we talk about life insurance, do you have enough, talk about guardianship, trustee, um, you know, how do I save for college, you know, just whatever's impacting you, how do I take care of a special needs child, how about my parents are still living and I need to uh, figure out how to help them through the aging process, or you may be in those years of trying to understand trans- the transition of life into a retirement community or long-term care insurance. Okay, so you can see, I, I'll chat with you just about anything that may be impacting your life and help you navigate through those financial concerns. The goal here is to help you leave an intentional legacy. You can't take it with you when your leftover stuff will go somewhere because it's not going to heaven with you. So I help you plan that process and get the right documents and the right forms in place for that. And if there's tax-wise tools we need to use to help you do that well, I bring that to the table. But the first question is, what does the Lord want you to do with what he's placed into your hands? So our time together is prayerful, ministerial, biblical, professional, inspirational. I want to help you in those ways in the planning. So whatever you have in your hands, you are the steward. We're going to talk about stewardship. You are the steward of what God has placed in your hands. And you're part of the role of passing on to heaven is that what you have left over, who's going to steward that when you're gone? Who's going to use what you have placed into their hands for God's use or for his purposes in their life. You're going to either leave it to family, government, taxes, or charity. Most people that I talk to do like trying to reduce the Uncle Sam portion, the government tax portion, and get it back to family and or charity. That, we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. This is who I am. Uh, married 42 years, four children, six grandchildren, been involved in all kinds of roles in the church, been in banking for 19 years, which was the last thing that I had done uh, as a chief financial officer and executive officer there running the bank. But the bottom bullet there says um, caregiver to my, to my wife. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what I've been through and experienced in, in our living. Um, but I know what it is. She's been in a wheelchair for quite a long time, and now she's no longer in that. Uh, she's actually running a business. 
Again, we'll chat about that in a moment. Uh, my mother, she was in, in a wheelchair in her last couple of years. Uh, we were able to keep her uh, in her home, in a wheelchair, bring people in to care for her, um, and kept her independent as much as possible, but still made sure she got her pills, food, cleaning was done, so forth, and just how to take care of a person as we get older. Do you go to a retirement community, whatever? I understand that aging process, that caregiving role. So if I can help you in that conversation, again, I want to be of help to you. So here's what I'm asking to do. If you don't have your will done, if you've, if you've not thought this through from a biblical standpoint, take that piece of paper that was handed out, sign that, and put that in the box back there. If you want to meet with me, i got some slots open today, tomorrow. You can certainly do that. There's some conference call slots there. But just take the piece of paper. If you do nothing else, if you're in Sunday school especially, and you didn't do it yet, just put your name on that. Pastor probably knows the rest of the information. I can get that from him. And we'll make a connection, and we'll see how I can help you. Okay? That's the commercial. We're here to talk about stewardship. I always like to see how long it takes me to do that. Five minutes. So let's chat a little bit here. Stewardship defined. The careful and responsible management of something that's entrusted to us. It's not ours. It's God's. It's entrusted to us. And the verses, some verses there you can uh, note, and some of those are in the uh, handout, as well as on the uh, application, the uh, Bible application that pastor put it on there. God owns everything. And Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. The earth is the Lord's. But in Corinthians it says, We are bought with a price. We are not our own. We were bought with the high price of Jesus Christ, right? So if we're bought, if we're owned, paid for by the Lord, then everything we have is his as well, all right? But it does get confusing because, you know, as we labor and we do things in life and we buy this home and we fix it up and we have this job and we've worked there for 20, 30 years, you know, and, and, and we've been able to get this and build this wealth and accomplish this in our lives, gets a little blurry, doesn't it? But even the Bible speaks to that. It says back in Deuteronomy, it says, I give you the ability, I give you the ability, the Lord God says, to increase wealth. Anything you have comes from me, and the abilities I give you, and even blessing that you haven't increased at all. Because you can still do all the labors like a farmer does, right? And it still may not grow. You still may not get the rain and all the... natural God things you need to make that happen. It's all about God. And what we have in our life is all about him. So the discipleship verse comes back to us here in Luke. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot, just plain out flat, cannot be my disciples. A really strong verse. And we think that's for another level of Christians. Now, that's for all of us. So what do we do? How do we respond? And we all go through it, and we go through it daily sometimes, how to give it all back to God. It's all his. Release it back to him. And daily, nearly daily, if multiple times in a day, sometimes we just need to do that and get our hands off of things, right? And give it back to him. So the question is, what are you gripping tightly? What's important in your life? What's vitally important to you in your life that a lot of your life revolves around that you keep an eye on all the time, what are you gripping tightly? We're going to talk a little more about that, and we'll come back to that question some more. Hey, this gentleman here, he's got something gripped tightly, right? As he's to go under, 
Everything that goes on there belongs to God. Well, he, they, he makes sure he gets, the, gets his cash out. If you're a younger generation, you care a little less about money and it's a little bit more about this uh, smartphone and maybe it's other things, you know, because you've got to Instagram people, right? You've got to be on that social media, so you need this to communicate. You're communicating to the world with that. So that's probably what the younger generation is holding up out, not their cash. They, they don't deal in cash anyway. I don't know. Let me not go there. What belongs to God? So here's a list. It's not a complete list. It's just my brainstorming and this God was just opening me up and speaking to me. And you can see on there, of course, we got time. Yeah, God owns our time. He owns our treasures. He owns our finance. He owns our property. He owns our children. He owns our grandchildren. They are resources placed into our hands. They are, are uh, uh, valued items that have been bestowed to us for God's purposes and how do we touch and influence lives, our spouse, relationships, job. But here's one, and I'm over here on your left. Your, yeah, your left. Life experience and trials. I just want to open that up because I want you to see stewardship more broadly than just things. Okay? I already stated about people. It's also about your giftings, your talents, your abilities. Okay? How God has designed you. We steward that back for him. If you like to lead worship, as was done beautifully this morning, God has talented him to lead worship. And the words that he was sharing that were very inspiring, that's his talent and giftings. God's framed each of us peculiarly. We are his workmanship, right? And so those things have been given to us. But the life experience is a little bit beyond that. You know, one of those things may be innate in us and talents in us and, and then maybe the interest of... But let me give you an example. So my wife, my wife grew up in an abusive home. Her father was an alcoholic father and, and just abused all six of the children. Uh, and my wife hated her dad. Uh, and, and no matter what answer she would give to dad, if he was questioning something, which was constant, no matter what answer she would give to dad, she knew their answer would be wrong, whether it was a lie or a truth. Although she, and I just talked to her recently about it. She said, I would cry, try to create the best lie I could that I thought I could make him believe it. Didn't matter, she's going to get hit anyway. And so that was, that was what she grew up with. She remembers being between her father and her mother when he had a knife on her uh, and, and trying to protect mom as a nine or 10 year old. She remembers taking the three younger children that were in the home into a closet and staying there for hours on end until dad was no longer in his rant and uh, aggressive nature uh, that night, and just huddle in there. That was her background. That bent her, right? That created a pain in her. But God, through the years as she came to the Lord and grown in the Lord, received that healing, that gift from God, that healing, that touch, that took all those wounds and her attitude towards her dad away. That she began to pray for her dad and led him to the Lord on his deathbed. About 10 days before he died, she spent day after day, I should say evening after evening there while I was with three little ones. She was there beside his bed, waiting for him, praying for him, trusting the Lord's going to break through this hardened man's stubborn heart and to know that he's love. Not only that he's love, that he can know that this Savior is going to take him to heaven if he would just turn and give himself to him. Well, he did that a few days before he died and she had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. She turned that hate into love and grew in that. Much later in life, God led us into a business. God gave my wife back to me. She was terminally ill. She had lupus that was extensive, was 
affecting just about every organ uh, in her body, except I think the kidneys. Everything else, she had specialists, 10, 12 specialists, and 20-some meds and so forth. Something happened to lupus. God took that away. We have been anointed many times, and that was gone. And so ten, that happened 10 years ago, 11 years ago. <coughs> She's 62 this year. So this long time in between there, she, we were dealing with sickness. And God gave her back about 11 years ago, and she wanted to start this business. She said, I want to do something for the Lord, and it looked like this bridal gown business. So that's what we started. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But in so doing, we hired employees. Okay? So here's my wife having had this background of abuse in her life and the healing of God that came to it. And this person that we hired, one of the first employees we hired, um, had some abuse and other difficult controlling relationships in her life and didn't know which way to turn. And she was so down on herself. So her image had been so destroyed by these relationships that she was suicidal and so forth. So she, we hired her, and, and one day my wife calls me up and said, Clem, and I'll call the girl M. M is down in our stairwell on our first floor. It's a little darkened area in a corner, and, and, and she won't come out. And she's and fearful, and she's talking suicide and this kind of things. She said, can you come? Can you pray with her? Can you help me with her and counsel with her? And so we spent some time talking to her and leading her out, getting her to a counselor, counselor and helping her find God's healing. She became a valued employee, valued friend. Her children, valued friends. God had built a wonderful relation with her and our children. What if my wife had kept her arms around her abuse and not shared that, not allowed that to come out into the open to help her? And by the way, we've had other employees, same circumstance. God did it again and again in touching those young people who had gone through some difficult trauma in their lives. Stewardship is about this bent that also God has taken you through, whether it's sickness or other trauma. First, you need to find God's healing. So I want to say to you, because I don't want to be glib about abuse and those kind of things, not in our day and age or ever, God is the healer. And he can take you out of that and touch you with love and make you feel whole. That you can go do what my wife had done, found that grace to do, from hating her dad to loving her dad and being there for him when he wanted to receive Christ. So, so first, find that healing. If you have trauma that you have embedded inside you and that you left deep, find, go to the pastor, go to a counselor, find someone who can begin to help you see God's loving touch on that. Stewardship. It's about all of us, including our life experiences. So let's go to Scripture and go to Matthew 25, uh, verse 14 is where we're going to start. So if you like reading along in, the, in your Bible, on your U version, your app, whatever, we're going to Matthew uh, 25, which I cannot see until I put my glasses on. And they do make me look smarter, do they not? All right, got a, a few laughs. Kingdom of heaven is what we're talking about. Verse 14, 25. Again, this kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. <clears throat> who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So the master, this man, goes on a journey. He's going to leave town, and he calls his servants, and he gives them some of his property. He entrusts to them. As we think of the father to us, he's entrusted to us. He didn't give it. The ownership hasn't changed. This is still owned by the master. So he entrusted this property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. 
each according to his ability. So I want you to open up the word ability a moment for you. Each according to their ability. First off, the master knew the servants. The servants knew the master. This is a relationship. This isn't some mechanical story. This is a relationship. They understood each other. Maybe the master role modeled, mentored them, that kind of thing. So he saw them. He knew what their capabilities were. And so he divvied up, divided his property and entrusted to them based on their ability. But I also want to open that word up to bent. For us, between us and the Lord, that he knows not just how we are gifted, talented, what's resourced in our lives, but also knows what life experiences have bent us. And like my wife's situation, that made her peculiarly, peculiarly available or blessing to others for the healing that she received from what she had gone through, to be able to touch people in similar regard. So I don't know your, all your circumstances or your life experiences, but look at them from God's perspective of how you can touch people. So he divvies up this property based on their ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So he kept a tight grip, right? He didn't even try. He kept that tight grip on his money and dug a hole and buried it. And then we go into verse 19. After a long time. So there was space. There was time. So he gave them property. He gave them something of value, put it into their hands, and then went away. Now what are we going to do? And and in all essence, that's what God the Father has done for us. He's resourced us. He's gifted us. He's positioned us. Here we are. What are we to do? How are we living out our lives? So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. See the enthusiasm there, the excitement there. He understood what the master was looking for, what he was to accomplish, what the expectations were of the master. And he went out, he multiplied it. How much of the five talents did he multiply? He multiplied all five talents. Did he put all of it to work? Yes, he put all of it. Did he take a piece and set it over here? And four talents went to work and one he kept on the side? No, he put it all in. It was all in, okay? Understand, we're all in to what God has called us to be doing. And so so we see that, and the master says, hey, verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Wonderful words, right? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Come and share your master's happiness. So the master says, you got it. You, you, you understood what was expected of you. You went out, you got it. Come, share your master's happiness. This is another level. This isn't master-servant. Master up here, servant down here. That's not the relation. No, come and share your master's happiness. You're on the same plane now, a different level of, of receptance and fellowship uh, with the master. And then the, the, the next servant comes with the two talents. The same thing happens. And, and the same repeat that the master says to that servant. But we go to verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So he knew about the master. Again, it tells us clearly there that the master and the servant understood each other and the servants knew what was expected of them. But he says, I was afraid. So he went out, dug this hole, buried it. Master replies, verse 26, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that a harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And if you're in business, you understand some of that terminology, sometimes how things come together that you didn't even try and it just they just pop. You just get this benefit. So I, I understand a little bit what he's saying about reaping a harvest that you haven't sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And then he goes on, verse 27, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He calls them lazy, he calls them wicked. Two different words. Lazy I get, wicked I have to, I had to process a little bit. Why was the servant wicked? Here He went out, pulled it out of the ground that was in the hole and gave it back to the master. So there's your money back. But I believe what was going on. Now what happens if you go to the bank? Because he sort of makes that as an example. You could have went to the bankers and, and you could have at least got some interest. Well, what happens when you're in, especially of old, the community banks, you know, they, everyone knows who you are. You know, if you come in with something that they, well, that's not yours, you know? Well, I know, but I got to put it on deposit here. Well, how did you get that? You know, and you go back in that day, back a couple of thousand years ago, everybody knew everybody, period, you know? And so if you go to a bank, they, they get, register your name, they get your social security number, they get a thumbprint. Eventually, they'll get your DNA. They're going to know all there is about you. He didn't want to be known. Why? Why dig, dig a hole? Because maybe the master never comes back, and I'll get to keep it for myself. I think that's the wickedness. And what is the Lord telling us when he says in this parable about putting the money on deposit? At least you could have got interest. Number one, doing nothing is not an option. So from a kingdom perspective and a kingdom building perspective, a stewardship perspective, doing nothing is not an option. But I don't believe you're sitting here in Kerwinsville Alliance Church doing nothing. You're here, you're giving, you're praying, you're joined together in prayer, worship the Lord, and, and to some extent or another, want to see your families, your community, whatever touched. So you're here. What I have to discern in my heart, you have to discern in your heart, are we just getting interest? Are we really multiplying what God wants us to be doing? Are we looking at our lives and we're saying, this is what I could be doing. This is what I'm really about. We're going to talk about that a little bit. These two servants grew their money and doubled it. Or do we just want to be interest-bearing Christians? I'm not sure what that looks like. I can only share what I think the Lord was speaking to me about, that I want to go beyond just putting my money on deposit. Because it sounds like in here that he would have received him if he would have done at least a little. Which speaks of God's great grace and wondrous mercy, even if we just do a little. But may we see ourselves as the other servants who put it all in and multiply it. So I want to go back in the passage there again where it says, at once they went out and they began to multiply it. They began to invest it, began to put it to work. How does that relate to us? Where do we invest it? Well, first... You know, my wife in the bridal gown shop, she had to first, 
Well, why would she do a bridal gown shop? Why would she want to work with brides and do that kind of business? You know, well, she has the gift of mercy. That's clear. She's very sensitive to people and their needs and hearing them and understanding them and listening to them and picking up on things they didn't even say. She's very discerning that way. So she already had the gift you know, just passion and compassion towards people. I had the business background, although we'll see, that was suspect, business background for her to do the business thing from, uh, from a side. So I assisted her that way. So we were perfectly matched and gifted, although I'm a logical mind, numbers mind, and she's uh, that other mind, you know, whatever that is, you know, and so we had a wonderful marriage together trying to fit the two together. That's how God had done it. And so here we are in this business. That was her design and what God was purposing through her. My, my pastor is, a, is a, my former pastor, who, who now I moved, uh, uh, over another church. But he, he loved bowling before he was a Christian. He loved bowling, bowling after he was a Christian and bowling when he became a pastor. He didn't stop bowling. That was a passion that he had. That was an interest that he had. And so when he became a pastor, what did he do there at the bowling alley? That's where he witnessed to people, invited them to church, prayed for their healing, led some there to the Lord uh, because he loved bowling. I don't know what's in your life or what interests there are, what God has birthed in you, or maybe shaped you through, for, through, shaped you through painful experiences, but they're to be given back to God and stewarded for him and see that God wants to be involved in those as well, because our calling of God is to make disciples, to be His witnesses. We're to be proclaiming the good news. What was in those that resource list where I had all the list of children and finances? I had all that list. What what else was there but a different collar? And it, gospel. We're here to steward the good news of Christ, the gospel. That's what we're stewarding, and everything else that's in our life and about our life is to be leveraged towards that purpose, stewarding the good news of Jesus Christ. Go and tell them. Yes, we're managing all these things in our life, and it gets a little bit difficult, and we're trying to do a lot of things and attain some happiness, give to the Lord, and care for our family. Each of us has to carve out discerningly what that looks like before the Lord. I don't have those answers, but we're to be storing our treasures in heaven, not on earth. Not building kingdoms here, But when we get to heaven, we'll be where our treasures are. Third point is to invest for the kingdom. Investing for him. What are you investing in? How are you applying your life? How are you going out and multiplying what God has placed into your hands? I thank you from Dr. Stumbo for either giving of this church, people here, to the Great Commission Fund, keeping our missionaries on the field. Last I knew, there were 40-some workers waiting to go out looking for funding. If you don't know what to do with money, Remember, you have Kernsville Alliance Church, but we have missionaries waiting to go out on the field. They went through years of training, God calling them, God placing them there, sweat and tears and prayer to get there. They just need the funds to make it happen. The Alliance has 6.3 million believers throughout the, the world, 22,000 some churches. Uh, the beautiful thing about the Alliance is there are 56 now nation partners who uh, the U.S. is one nation part and Canada's one, Peru's one, Philippines one, South Korea's one, Australia's one, uh, Zaire, what's it called, Congo's one, on and on, Italy's one. And then 22 of those send out their own missionaries. They send out their own workers, like Latinos can 
go into the Middle East creative access countries much easier than than Americans can go there. And Brazil, I know, has joined with American missionaries to Portugal to plant churches there. On and on. We have hospitals and, and educational facilities and um, uh, women's ministries and women's services and all that throughout the world. That's the alliance. So I welcome you to invest there. Invest in Kerwin's Alliance. Invest in your community with time and money. For it's about changing lives. These are just some pictures of baptism that the Alliance workers have done. Changing lives. Stewarding the gospel. Investing yourself, who you are, what you have, what's in your hands, how you've been gifted, how you've been bent. Fourth point. What are we trusting in? I've got to go up here to do this one. Pastor already knows what's coming. So you saw the, you saw the, 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 the slide. Let me move that on. So it was 2000 and. Seven, I lost my job. The president and I parted ways with the, uh, with the organization at that time. So I was off work for a time, about a year, before I found, or this found me, this job found me. But during that time, I knew what needed to have happened is, is if any way I can help my wife overcome her addiction to the fentanyl patch um, that she was on to 17 years on an opiate, um, Steroids as well, 11, 12 years on steroids. These just been destroying her. Uh, she's an amputee. She lost her leg, which is, a, which is another way of turning something into a blessing because as she, we got into this business I mentioned earlier, and she was an amputee trying to run a business that way, people would see this pole coming out from the bottom of her pant leg and ask her, how do you handle that? And that just opened the door for her to share first is about Jesus and share that story. So um, in that year of 2007, I jumped ahead of myself a bit. Uh, I got, came alongside my wife. We found a, a drug rehab facility that was natural, natural approach, and cleansed her of all that addiction, just cleansed it out of her system. Not tra- tra- traditional rehab that you're thinking. She did not need to stay there overnight or anything like that. It, it, it was an amino acid IV therapy and cleanser. And so here she was. Uh, uh, her mind was bright. She, her, she could see colors better. Her hearing came back in one ear. You know, her eyes were just brighter in, in, in visibility and so forth. And, uh, and she was popping. I mean, she was really I'm serious. She was bouncing off the walls. And she wanted to do something for the Lord. Her life was back. My bride was back. God had healed her twice over. Took the lupus away and then restored her of the drugs. Just in a moment, it seemed. What would you do if you were given a new start? She was 50. She was 50 when this was happening. We bought a business at the end of the year. A business. She wants this business. She wants to do work with brides. She wants to touch people's lives. Okay, I get that because that's how she's gifted. And that's how she's wired or bent. But really, my retirement. Goes. So what, you know, I'm off, off work, right? I have no job. So what's the first thing I get my arms around? The retirement account. What do I got in the bank? And so I got my arms around that 2007, just making sure, okay, can I weather through this through the year? Now she wants to buy a business. So the retirement account's going to somewhat go and get this business done type thing. But what's happening in 2008 and 2009? It was called a great recession. Do you buy a business before a great recession? The answer should be no. But I went counter to that because I didn't know it was coming. So here I am, 
walking into a business, walking into a recession, keeping my arms very tightly around a retirement account, because that was important to me and important to sustain us. And then the market starts doing this, right? It's literally going up and down 28 times that year. And then I trip, yeah. And it keeps going down, right? And as it's going down, I'm feeling, oh, bad. I'm not so good down here. How am I going to make it? This money's running out quickly. And this business ain't doing so good because it's a great reset. But it pops up. I do, oh, I'm okay. All right, I'll be all right. It's going up and down. Oh, my. Up. All right, I'll be. 28 times. What are you, my heart's going all over the place. Till God reminded me, give and it shall be given unto you. What you sow, you shall also reap. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things be added unto you. Do not worry. If you're involved in God's mission in your life, if you're involved in God's plan for your life, where he wants you, if you are concerned about souls who need to know Jesus, then Paul says the Philippian church were giving a giving church, caring for him. They're a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And Paul says, without a doubt, my God will meet all your needs. He will care for you where you are at. Trust God. What are you trusting in? Trust him to take care of you. Trust him. Take that risk. Step out. Trust the Lord. The passage in chapter 26 talks about Mary. I'm going to go through that quickly. As we talk about the next step is devotion. What gets our attention? What are we devoted to? Well, first, we summarize here, we're to be stepping out for the Lord, being all that he wants us to be in the place that he's put us, based on how we are wired, and invest ourselves there and trust him through the process. Mary comes and she brings what she has available to her, okay? She gets this alabaster jar of perfume, very valuable perfume that she brings, she breaks it open, pours it on the head of Jesus. She doesn't drip it, she pours it as a sample of what our lives are to be to the Lord, poured out for him. So she brings this before the Lord. She knew that something was going on because she was listening to Jesus' words, who said there in verse 1, I think it is verse 2, that the Son of Man is going to be turned over and be crucified. A horrific death was coming. They understood crucifixion. A horrific death was coming. Coming to Jesus, what? Somewhere in her inspiration in her hearing all this and understanding in that culture. She, she does something very wonderful to Jesus and brings this alabaster jar, her gift of what she had in her hands, not what somebody else had. She has to take a risk because she has to get in front of people. It's public. These disciples and others are around, but she's going to do this anyway, right then and there. Touch the heart of Jesus, pouring this out on his head at that moment, which he says is preparing him for burial. She gets it. Remember I said that earlier about getting it? She's getting the moment and touching the heart of Jesus in that moment, right where he's at, not worried about what others will say. That keeps us from stepping out for God many times because we're worried about what others will say. It is risky when we step out. Someone's going to demean us or say something dumb and stop us in our tracks. And yes, it takes sometimes something very valuable in our lives, something very important to Mary is being given up. It might have been something that equates to her retirement security. I don't know. But she pours it on the head of Jesus, and he responds, rebuffing the disciples. Let her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. Have you ever been blessed like that? 
Have you, has anyone ever come out of their way, done something specific for you, touched your heart, saw that you had a need, gave you something or gave you a hug or blessed you in such a way that it touched you in the deepest moment that you needed it? And what usually happens? Tears come to your eyes. Because he so loved you and so touched you. That's what I believe is happening here. Jesus is being so loved, so touched. And she, he responds, oh, she's just done a beautiful thing to me. She got it. Back in the parable of the talents, he says, enter into my happiness. You got it. What joy, how the master was blessed. What Jesus is trying to tell us is our giving, our caring, our touching of souls, our touching of lives is touching him. Because we just simply go back in chapter 25 and we go back a couple of verses and I want to end here. I know I'm running a little over but in verse uh, 20, chapter 25, 34, you can read it. He's talking to this, the people and he says, um, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. What? They said. When did we do any of that? King replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. You want to know how to touch Jesus? Go out and touch the world for Jesus Christ. I pray that you may have an encounter even this week with someone who doesn't know Jesus or needs someone to lift them up in finding Jesus more deeply. May you have that encounter this week. God bless you, Pastor Steve. Turn it back to him or the worship team. I'm not sure which.